book of Revelation chapter 1, and I'd like to read verses 1 through 17 as we have the past few weeks looking at this, and then we'd like to spend some time just reviewing verse 5 and looking at verse 6. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and them that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother, and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man clothed with a garment to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Can't wait to get there.
We're going to be looking just briefly at verse 5. We went through here and looked at a few things last week, but it's just such a delight to review what God has done for his people. And we noticed in there, in the latter part of that uh, verse, well, uh, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and uh, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince and the kings of the earth. There's one thing about every statement in there. He doesn't take second chair to anyone. He doesn't play second fiddle. He is absolutely monarch, king of kings, and lord of lords. He is the first begotten from the dead. He is, as it shares with us, the prince or the king of the kings of the earth. And then it says he is the faithful witness, and he is the only absolutely honest, faithful witness this earth has ever seen. David said, I came forth from my mother's womb speaking lies. And this witness came forth not knowing what a lie is. Never had one. Never thought one. Never was tempted with one. I never succumbed to temptation of one. But here is that he doesn't take a second chair to anyone. He is the king of kings. And as a result of that, we find that he loved us. He couldn't love us like he loves us unless he fulfilled all of those positions in the previous part of this verse. He could not love us from eternity, as we find in the book of Jeremiah, if he did not have those qualities about him, that he was king of kings, and that he is the first begotten of the dead, and that he is the faithful witness. When it was committed to him in the covenant of grace, before the world began, he determined to share with his people the absolute truth about himself, about themselves, about the word of God, and about God, and about everything else. He was determined, and he does share that with us. It, it share, he, he shares with us that when the Spirit of God comes, and I'm looking at that when he come to me, he's going to reveal unto me the truth. He will not share a lie. He will reveal the truth. And that truth will always put God not second fiddle to anyone. Now, he loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, I'd like to go back to the book of Acts chapter 20 and just make a couple of comments with regard to this as the Apostle Paul was sharing uh, his last farewell message. Now, they did cry. They did weep. They were sorry. But Paul never missed an opportunity to share the gospel even with the elders that were from, from Ephesus. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Because that's the only thing that will comfort God's people, is the gospel. He shared with them again what he had shared with them before. He shared it with them, and that's what brought them to Jesus Christ. He shared it again, and that's what comforted their souls as new Christians and he shared it again, and that's what comforted their souls as they matured. And he shared it again the last day he ever saw them. Now, he didn't go over a long laundry list of things that he'd accomplished there. He preached to them the gospel and shared the blood of Christ. 
And that's so valuable to us. It isn't what we accomplish. It's who died for us. Who redeemed us. And here in the book of Acts, chapter 20 and verse 28, we read these words as the Apostle Paul was sharing it. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and all the flock. And what does he say there? We read a verse over in the book of 1 Peter this Sunday. He's saying the same thing to these Ephesian elders. Take heed to yourselves. What's he saying? Make your calling and election sure. Take heed to yourselves. My goodness, if, you, if you're going down the path and pretty soon you start to talk about things that are inappropriate, things that, that are based on works, shut your mouth and sit down. Take heed to yourself. Take heed to yourself. And then, he says, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. That's wonderful. As we look here in the scriptures, we find how the Holy Spirit ran things. <laughs> I love it. The Holy Spirit was involved. The Holy Spirit ran things. You know what he still does? He's in charge. He's the one that reveals the truth to the church. He's the one that reveals Christ to the church. He's the one that leads the church. He's the one that said to Paul, separate me, Bar or to the church, separate me, Barnabas and Paul, for the work whereunto I've called him. And now these at Ephesus, he said, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. You've been appointed by this Holy Ghost to do what you're doing. Now, feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now, that's your responsibility. He shared that with these Ephesian elders. But the point we want to see here, he purchased something with his own blood. Redemption, but the very word redemption means there's a cost. There's a price to pay. If we're going to redeem something, there's a price to pay. Now, the price to pay is whatever the person holds the object demands. Now, some things, the redemptive price might be cheap. We might be able to take a bargain here. I worked in a pawn shop. Fascinating work. Fascinating where I loved every day I went to work. Fascinating. Sometimes... The redemption price was cheap, and sometimes it was expensive, but the redemption of your soul cost something we can't provide. The blood of Jesus Christ. Now, what's that mean? That means he gave his life. When he shed his blood, he gave his life. He put his life as redemptive price for us. And that's what he shares. He loved us and gave himself for us. He loved us and loosed us, washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. I like that. That poet put to music. I mean, it's music, it's melody in the heart of God's people to realize that when Jesus Christ pushes us down under that flood, we lose all our guilty stains. We can have friendship and fellowship with God Almighty, which we didn't have before. We can enjoy the privilege of sitting down in his presence because he has plunged us beneath that flood. Now, the Apostle Paul shared with, this, with these elders, these preachers there at Ephesus, Feed the church of God, 
Why? Because it's valuable to God. The church is a valuable... Why? He purchased it with his own blood. He gave his life for it. Now, turn with me, if you would, over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, it's a glorious thing. When we go through the scriptures, we just find everywhere we go, three things. Ruined by the fall. He has, there in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, he washed us from our sins. Now, there's the problem. S-I-N and S-I-N-S. We're that by nature and we're that by practice. We had a fall in Adam. We're ruined by the fall. We're not, we're not wrecked. We're ruined. We're ruined. As my granddaughter would say, we're a batch of blue cheese. <laughs> ruined. <laughs> now, I just happen to like blue cheese, but she doesn't. It, she calls it stinky feet cheese. Right. Ruined by the fall. We're ruined by the fall. Not a wreck, but ruined. And we just find that principle all over the scriptures. We found it in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, and then redeemed by Christ. It's only hope. Our only hope. And then regenerated by the Holy Spirit. That's our only hope. Now look with me here in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. We have these wonderful words. We have a song in our green book. We just, we just sing it to death. We just love it because it's a scriptural verse, scriptural song. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. He says, For as much as ye know, now, if you've been saved, you know this. You're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. Those Jews got so, when they went by the box, they just thought, I'm taking care of all my spiritual needs. Yeah, they'd bring in those, those donations. <laughs> You're not redeemed with corruptible things, and we don't think they're corruptible, but they are as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Now, he's speaking to a group of Jews, but I'll tell you, Presbyterians, Methodists, and Baptists have nothing on the Jews. It's just another religion. And we're steeped in it until God reveals his Son to us. And then you know that you're... You, uh, for as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, that's how, you, that's how you bought your watch back, and that's how you bought a piece of property back, and that's how, that's how you got your kids back, but you're not going to get into the presence of God with silver and gold. It's not going to happen. But with the precious blood of Christ. Now that's just music to God's people's ears. With the precious blood. Uh, we, we just need to underline that word, precious blood. Precious blood is precious to God. It was precious to Christ. And spilt, it's precious to us. Precious blood of Christ, 
as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I find no fault in him. Now that's a sinner man said that. The church has been saying hallelujah ever since. <laughs> hallelujah. I find no fault in him. A precious blood of Christ is a lamb without blemish and without spot who fairly was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Now that's good too, isn't it? That just tells us about his eternality interest in us. He fairly foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. So the church is just so dependent upon the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. And he, he just didn't get down here and decide at the last minute that he was going to the Dalles. <laughs> you know, I've seen movies where somebody walks into the, the uh, stagecoach station and says, how, much, how far can I get on $5? And the guy says, well, you can get to Waco, Texas. And they're about 30 miles away, you know. He said, get me there. Well, <laughs> he's just trying to get out of town is all he is. The Lord Jesus didn't come down to this earth and decide, I think I'll do this who was verily foreordained. And God's people just love it because it means he had an interest in them before the world began. And if he didn't have an interest in us before the world began, we will not have anybody have an interest in us. All right, going back over there to the book of Revelation. Now, verse 6, look at this with me. Not only, not only, not only has he washed us from our sins, in his own blood, but he promoted us. <laughs> he gave us the grandest promotion we could ever imagine in our life. He hath and hath made us kings and priests unto God. Now, we might have been kings and we might have been priests before, but we weren't unto God. We had our, established our own God. We had our own way figured out. But this change that God works in his people is he makes us to be both kings and priests or a kingdom of priests, a king priest. He and hath made us. Now, I like that. He made us. Now, it means that I wasn't in favor of it to begin with, <laughs> but he had strong influence and he made me. He took the flour and the sugar and the salt and the baking powder and all the stuff that goes into the best batch of chocolate chip walnut cookies and he made it. He made us kings and priests. Now turn with me with that in mind. Turn over there with me. What a wonderful passage of scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. This dear sister in Christ, she shares a whole bunch. Here, here's her confession of faith. Now, it's just a little bit longer than Peter's, but she's just saying this is added to this and this is added. You know, the cookie just gets bigger. <laughs> Over there, the, Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this dear saint, this lovely lady, 
This faithful sister in Christ Jesus, our Lord, this one way back there in time, had this to say in a prayer. Now, we're going to read a verse of Scripture over here in the book of Revelation in just a moment, but there's a vial, V-I-A-L. It's not V-I-L-E. <laughs> V-I-A-L. That's, a, that's something that holds something. A vial full of sweet-smelling odors, which is the prayers of the saints. And here's one of them that's in it. God's people praying is a sweet-smelling odor, savor to our Savior. <coughs> they, they have been brought through the blood. They have been brought by the Holy Spirit. They have been brought into His presence, cleansed and clean. If it wasn't for the blood of Christ, we couldn't pray. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, they'd never been delivered. But they are brought up in His presence, Sweet-smelling odor. Now, it's like the very, very delightful smell that must have been in the Holy of Holies when they burnt that incense. Oh. Fill the whole house just as the Spirit of God fills everything. Sweet-smelling odor. Now, notice this sweet-smelling odor here in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel Chapter 2, verse 1. Hannah prayed, and we get to read it. Jim was sharing, he gets, he's been listening to some messages by Charles Spurgeon, read by some Englishmen. Now, I've heard one or two that way, and it just, oh, it's a delight. Delight. <laughs> I heard the sinners in the hands of an angry God read by an Englishman once. I, I liked listening to it, but it was powerful. <laughs> Here, if we could just have someone like Hannah in the background say this with the emphasis that she put on it. Mm. Now let's do this. She said, now this is a prayer, and I am convinced these words are sweet-smelling odor to God. Because she says, my heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. The enemies kept saying, gork, gork, gork. And she's learned grace, grace, grace. She said, I rejoice in my salvation. And that makes her enemies upset. Now, there is none holy as the Lord. For there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Now, no wonder this is a sweet-smelling odor. It's just full of praise to God. And it goes on and tells us where we are now. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let, no, and let not arrogancy come out of the, your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. Now, that's good, isn't it? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elected? It's God that justifieth. By him action shall be weighed. I redeemed them. They're mine. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumble are girded with strength. 
Now that's a strange thing. Bows of the mighty men that used to send out air, they're broken, but they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased. So that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. Now notice this. The Lord killeth, the Lord maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave, he bringeth up. He maketh poor, and maketh rich. And bringeth low, and lifteth up. Now everything is just backwards to us. Everything in there, just backwards. And people want to turn that around. People want to turn that around. People want to turn that around. Oh, they must have made a mistake in translation. No, they didn't. God brings down before he lifts up. He never blesses lift up. He always blesses after we've been brought down. Now, he goes on to say, He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes. Now, what did we read over there in the book of Revelation? Chapter 1, verse 5, verse 6. He hath made us kings and priests unto God. And Hannah, many, many years before that, was saying the exact same thing in her prayer. And why could she say it in her prayer? Because she knew it was the truth. Have you ever said anything in your prayer that you didn't know was the truth? She's speaking about God because she knows the truth of it. She's been lifted up. She knows what it is to be down. She knows what it is to be a sinner. She knows what it is to be in the fall. She knows what it is, as it says there, to lift up a beggar from the dunghill. Now, this is a lady saying this. This is a Christian lady. This is a sister in Christ. She's sharing something about where she came from. And she's sharing something about where every believer comes from. We'll do anything for warmth, won't we? And there's only one warm spot in all the world, and that's laying our head on the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll do anything for warmth. That's where beggars used to sleep because it was a warm place. Smelly. Oh, my goodness. We'll do anything. But the Lord will bring us down to bring us up. Now, it says here... To set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He has the right to do with his own as he sees fit and he has purpose to elevate them to a state they only, well they couldn't even think of. <laughs> to bring them as king priests. Make them as king priests. Pr promote them as king priests. Beggars, worms, if you please, to make them king priests of God Almighty. That's the purpose of God. Purpose of his grace is not to leave us where he found us, but to lift us up into his presence and to make us kings and priests of the Most High God. Now, what do we do as kings of God? Kings of the Lord Jesus. What do we do? I was thinking about that. You know, we rule our mind when we know in our heart that our God reigns. 
That's just so simple. Just go through life. I know my God reigns. You know, there's a rule over us that we never had before. He's in charge. Yeah, you visit with people. Sometimes I get a little distraught too, things going on. But we can rule where we never ruled before. When God reveals unto us, our God is in charge. He reigns. He rules and reigns. He reigns over kingdoms. He reigns over kings. He raises up kings. He disposes of kings. He raises up presidents. He disposes of presidents. He reigns. I'm at peace. I'm in charge. I rule. I rest in him. And then... He says that we're priests. We're kings and priests of our Lord. Now, turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. What do priests do? What do priests do? Well, we have the opportunity granted to us by our God to offer up sacrifices. Now, we're not going to bring in them goats and sheep and oxen and Cattle and turtle doves and all that other stuff. We're not, we're not asked to do that. But we have the privilege of offering up spiritual sacrifices. Well-pleasing unto our God. He talked about the old sacrifice. He says, bring no more vain oblations. So tired of these sheep when you don't even look at them as representing me. You bring the halt and the lame and the diseased and the maimed, and you're really sharing with the world that's what you think of your God. Bring no more vain oblations. But he tells his church, I'll take the spiritual sacrifices. First Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Ye also as lively living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. What is a, one of those spiritual sacrifices that we offer? Sacrifice of praise. Wasn't that what Hannah presented? She offered up the sacrifice of praise. When God, through his son, gave to us the model prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, holy be thy name. Now that is an example of offering up spiritual sacrifices of praise. Oh, to praise God, to let our, to know from our heart, a God that's been revealed to us, and just speak highly of him. There's one passage, I think it's, hmm, oh, First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I'm not mistaken, that word blessed is the same word we get our word eulogy from. Isn't it a delight to eulogize God? Man, I've been to some funerals when they gave the eulogy, and I just wanted to take a peek because I, 
I never knew the person that was being spoken of like that, but with God to eulogize him. Oh, in the highest of the heavens, holy and righteous are you altogether. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My goodness, to give him that kind of praise every day from our hearts and mean it, that's being a priest to the Most High God. Hannah was doing that over there in the book of 1 Samuel. And then, turn with me if you would to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. This is a privilege granted only to the church. Only to God's people. You can't do it otherwise. People can say our Father and have no idea what they're talking about. But a person that's been born of God and has him as their father, they can really say, our father who art in heaven. A person that doesn't have any idea what a shepherd is can't say, the Lord's my shepherd. But a person that has Christ, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Isn't that wonderful? He's the herdsman. <laughs> He's the one that's outflanking us. <laughs> We're drawn to the right. He's out there herding us back. We're drawn to the left where he's out there bringing us back. The Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. Here in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And there in verse 15. These blessed words that have been given to us about what it is to be a priest of God. A priest unto God. To be made a priest unto God. Hebrews chapter 13. And verse 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now that's being a priest, offering spiritual sacrifices, offering praise unto God. And then over in the book of Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6. <clears throat> we're five chapters in and we're still connected to the first chapter. I mean, this potato is dense. <laughs> There's no squeeze room in this. It's just... It's... All right. Here it says... Revelation chapter 5 or 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Now, <clears throat> there is a word in there. It just hasn't been, it's not our vernacular anymore. And that's the word beasts. Beasts. When we think of beasts, we're, Boy, I'm on the wrong side of the fence with this beast. I'm out in the field with this beast. I'm going to be run over the fence with this beast. This word means living creature. This is such a good word. This is, these, these characters are, are so honorable. They're, they're not grotesque. They're honorable. And it says there in verse 7, And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down upon 
uh, before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. It's interesting that the four and twenty elders, there's 24, that's the number of tribes of the Old Testament, number of apostles in the New Testament. That's just the church from beginning to end represented. From the very first saved them to the very last saved them, there they are represented. And I sung a new song, they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Now notice that out of every kindred, out of, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, I don't believe this is all future. I get the privilege right now of enjoying Christ's reign. And as I enjoy it, I get to reign. He's in charge. I get to enjoy his reign. I am a king priest with him. He loved me. God loves me like he loves his son. His son is a king and his son is a priest and we are made kings and priests. We now get to enjoy the rich benefits of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the, and the living creatures, the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Who is it that's singing this? Kings and priests and every host of heaven. We're offering spiritual sacrifice. We're praising God with our lips. And they said, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. That's just a good good, honorable way of recognizing our almighty God. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Now in the eighth chapter of the book of Hebrews, going back one more time to the book of Hebrews, we find these words with regard to the everlasting, eternal covenant. Now I had a discussion one time with my sister and she said that the circumcision in the Old Testament was the was the uh, sign of the covenant, and baptism in the New Testament was a sign of the covenant. And I said, that is incorrect. Now, I don't know about the Old Testament, but I know this, that the blood of Christ is the sign of the covenant. It's not baptism. The blood of Christ is the sign of the covenant. We are participants of the new covenant which he purchased with his own blood this is he told his 11 disciples that night this is the blood of the new covenant as he held it up this is a symbol of the blood of the new covenant now notice here hebrews chapter 8 the blood of the everlasting covenant the everlasting covenant the eternal covenant now he made a covenant with israel Mount Sinai, uh, Mike was mentioning there Sunday about Mount Ger uh, Gerizim and Mount Ebal and blessings on one, curses on the other, yelling back and forth at each other. That Israel is divided and they're on one. 
yelling back and forth, curses and blessings by God. And God told Israel, if you'll keep my commandments, I'll make you a kingdom of priests. And they failed. Because no more had they got the words that we'll keep it out of their mouth and they were lying through their teeth. Now it was just a picture and a type and a shadow of the group that would. And there were some Israelites that knew what it was, but most we find did not. Not all Israel is of Israel. An Israelite is not one outwardly, but one inwardly. Don't show me the big black hat. Don't show me the curls down the ears. Don't show me the phylacteries. Don't show me the coats. Don't show me. A Jew is one inwardly. Born again. Another term for born again. Now notice this. This is the covenant that God would make with the church. Hebrews chapter 8. And in it, he's going to make kingdom of king priests. Verse 8. For finding fault with them, he said finding fault with Israel in the first covenant. Now it was weak through the flesh. Finding fault with them, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now we find that new covenant is synonymous to the everlasting covenant. New covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. <laughs> That's pretty plain. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every... Man, his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. I will remember no more. For in that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Now what did he say? I'll make them my people. I'll be their God. They shall be my people. I will make them kings and priests unto God. It's not theirs to make themselves that. Boy, there's nothing worse than a self-made priest. There's nothing worse than a self-made king. There's nothing worse than a self-made king of priests or priest of kings. But when God makes his king priests, they recognize their ruling by divine authority. And it doesn't go to their head. It isn't, I was listening to a, a show yesterday on the radio, and they're talking about the divine right of kings, France and England, divine right of kings. <coughs> they could do no wrong because they were put there by God. Divine right. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about we are privileged to serve a king who is benevolent to all his subjects. Now, one quick turn back to the apocalypse. <laughs> that book of blessing. He hath made us kings and priests. Verse 6. 
unto God and his Father. Isn't that interesting how unto God is in large letter and then to the Father? Who is it speaking about? <laughs> Jesus Christ the Lord and the Father and his Father. To him be glory and dominion. I like that word dominion. I got it in my hand. <laughs> no one takes it from me. I rule and reign. I like the term he uses. We're going to get to with a rod of iron. What's that mean? I do my will in the armies of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can say unto me, uh, or stay my hand, or say, what doest thou? I like that. I like a God that's ruling and doing what he pleases, just like his word said he would do. It's a delight. And, verse 7, we're not going to go there tonight, but behold... He cometh with clouds. As oft as you do this, do this in remembrance of me till he comes. Promise, promise, promise till he comes.